0: Say what you need to say, Josh. Get it off your chest.
1: How long do we have?
2: Uh... (laughs) They can tell you not only the position of a pitcher's elbow, so uh, flexion, extension, how they bend their elbow, as well as how fast they're moving it. Early in
0: his career, he was he was pretty much holding it in the middle. And it was a very awkward (laughs) to swing because he kept hitting himself with the end of it. But now he handles the bat well. And welcome once again to Artificial Turf Wars Episode 6, where running headfirst into the wall is an art form. I'm Greg Wisniewski, and I'm joined tonight by my friend Joshua Hausum. How's it going, Josh?
1: Not so bad. How about I, you?
0: I forgot to have a clever adjective for you this week. I was busy with other things, but next week for sure, I'm doing well.
1: <laughs> so disappointed.
0: Uh, we are going to talk tonight about uh, the last signing out of spring, Franklin Morales. Which, yeah, the timing on that was interesting um, for us. Just it's a personal thing. Uh, then we're going to actually talk about baseball games that mattered. Some highlights, low lights uh john gibbons forgot how to manage a bullpen we'll go into some depth about that and then uh ex-blue jay david price uh was supposed to face the blue jays but is not we will tell you why if you can't figure it out for yourself then we're going to talk to biomechanist uh thomas caracolis about uh, all kinds of different issues with keeping players on the field and healthy uh we're gonna take listener questions Going to give John Gibbons a do-over, even though the real regular media tried to give him a do-over. And uh, we're going to talk about the cliché of the week, which we haven't had for a while. He handles the bat well. Uh, Rewind all the way. spoiling it early. Well, Yeah, people can think about that now. Does he handle the (laughs) bat well? Doesn't he? (laughs) So, Franklin Morales. Uh, You were a little upset at the timing of the Franklin Morales signing because it kept intact a long tradition around here at uh,
1: ATW. Yep, once again, our podcast was obsolete within a day of release. I mean, this one was just, we were breaking down the opening day roster. How did that happen? 25 men, one of whom is wrong. No, I think this time it's just because they listened to us about how Ryan DePera might not be the lefty killer that people think. Right. Yeah, we probably should not have revealed that clever detail.
0: um, Because that obviously spurred into action the powers that be. Um, Is Franklin Morales the lefty killer that we need in the bullpen?
1: He's legit. Uh, I I was actually very surprised that the Jays got him. By the way, I can't believe I just called Tepera by that name.
0: Oh, so not Pat Venditti (laughs) isn't on (laughs) the team anymore. Well, you can call him that because he's not taking Pat Venditti's
1: spot anymore. That's true. He's earned his his name name back. back. (laughs) Uh, The things you got to do around here. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Last year, Morales was quite good for Kansas City. He had a 318 ERA in 62 appearances, 67 appearances, and he destroyed lefties. Righties actually hit him very well, uh, 284, 371, 466, 837 OPS. But lefties were 209, 287, 324 against him. So as a second lefty in the pen, it's actually really valuable.
0: He he is the Lugian training leader. (laughs) For those of you, what, uh, lefty only one out guy? That's it. But why is there a Y on Lugy? Because
1: they put the Y at the end of guy instead of a G. So <laughs> just me. Lug. Lug. <laughs> uh,
0: so, yeah. Thank you for signing Franco Morales. He makes good business sense, but you ruined what was a, a wonderful 25-man roster breakdown.
1: Okay. <laughs> um, we played. Uh, we One watched... second. Just before we move on, yeah. we should probably talk about his contract. It's kind of quirky. So he's getting one year, $2 million, but it's non-guaranteed, which probably makes no sense to most people. But basically what it means is if after 45 days, the full amount becomes guaranteed. But if they release him before that or send him to the miners, well, they can't. He's out of options. But if they get rid of him before that, they only have to pay the prorated amount. The weird part
0: is I read the... Matt Gwynn put up all of the pertinent parts of the CBA about non-guaranteed contracts. And it was very difficult to find the sentence that talked about the 45 days without also seeing sentences that talked about as soon as he got put on the major league roster after spring training or, or before open, if he got put on the roster before opening day, it was all guaranteed. And if this happened, it was guaranteed. And if this happened, it was guaranteed. And there's like one exception where it's not guaranteed if he's on the team on opening day. It was really strange. I'm like, this is the weirdest contract language ever to get this one stipulation in there that you could cut him if you needed to.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Baseball CB is very goofy. It's very long. The longer a legal
0: document gets, the weirder it gets.
1: Pretty much a general rule, yeah. Uh,
0: So let's not talk about legal documents anymore. Let's talk about baseball. Uh, I will let you start by just... Gushing over the the Marcus Stroman eight plus innings to begin the season. I (laughs) I assume you want to do that.
1: (laughs) Oh man, Marcus Stroman. You know, when the season started, I was talking about. I think it was in the last podcast that I'm not sure the Jay should be counting on him to be an ace just because he's never done it before. Now, did I tell you?
0: Did I tell you you were wrong? (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah, I think you did. Yeah, well, (laughs) mea culpa. He was really, really good. He was awesome. He was dealing. I... Oh, he, he seventy four strikes, twenty four <laughs> balls. Yeah, and he, and he okay. He only fell behind in the count five times. Just crazy. Oh, sorry. Ended. Ended with behind. In,
0: yeah. Ended in a bat behind in the count. Yeah. Yeah, and if you look at that pitch track where where those balls are if he's looking for ground balls and remember he, he was not drafted as a ground ball pitcher he was drafted as a fly ball pitcher and that was one of the concerns and he's completely turned that around with with changing his pitch mix and selection and there was so much in the lower half of the zone it was unreal
1: oh yeah i think so we did this rotation review which broke down all of the starts and steve did this one 62 of his 98 pitches were in the lower half of the zone that's crazy
0: and a guy who made a career out of that was Roy Holiday to to a ridiculous amount. Um, so I mean, if you if you're going to emulate anybody, trying to keep the ball on the ground, trying to to and again with control, he had yeah. he has great control for a guy of his age and and level of ex, like amount of experience. It's crazy that he's painting corners like that.
1: So woo, Marcus Stroman. <laughs> well, and it was just funny because so he's doing all this stuff, getting all these ground ball outs, quick outs. His counterpart. <laughs> <laughs> Chris Archer struck out twelve batters, but only lasted five innings because it may he threw one hundred and seven pitches.
0: One of the worst looking twelve strikeout performances I have I have watched slash heard of. In terms of, he didn't know where the ball was going, but no, they couldn't really hit it very well. Like the the combination was odd, especially for an opening day start when a guy is usually more or less, you're expecting him to be on his game one way or another. But, yeah,
1: he was all over yeah. the place. Yeah, hanging a lot of sliders that the Jays just happened to be swinging through. And that happened,
0: actually, the, the pitch count thing happened almost the whole series long. With the exception of um, Dickey, who had to keep wiggling off the hook in game two, You, I, I looked a whole bunch of times in the third or fourth inning, and the Rays starting pitcher would have 89 92 pitches, and the Jays pitcher would have 54. <laughs> I'm like, this is crazy, because the Jays struck out like mad the whole series long.
1: Oh my god, they they, they set a franchise record for strikeouts in a four-game series. It felt tied like it. It. 46 strikeouts in a four-game series.
0: Like, it was just insane. It, the, the amount of Whiffs and takes and and everything else and, and they didn't they just could not put the ball in play and even when they and then of course when they put it in play they hit a bunch of home runs that was their only real offense it was so it's only four games thank god but it's a very very strange way to start with a, a sample in the year and uh, do you blame Ray's pitching do you blame blame the trop like what
1: well, you, I mean, say? When you consider how oh yeah like I said like I said they swung through a lot of hanging sliders I think that the Jays hitters were just. I don't know if it was uh, like just going back and forth, all those stadiums in spring training at the end there with Montreal, Tampa, Dunedin, or if it's just you know early season stuff. It's hard to say, but they were definitely missing some very hittable pitches and taking some pitches that were right
0: there. Yeah, the thing seemed definitely out of sync, and they paid in case. In <laughs> it was like the currency of the day. <laughs> Um but a lot of guys who we were maybe a little worried about got on the board when they weren't striking out. Josh Donaldson dis- despite whiffing like crazy, he homered twice in the series, didn't he? Uh did he get Yes, he did. Yeah, he did. And then yeah. of course on
1: the second home run, he uh <clears throat> <laughs> hurt himself. <laughs> yes, he did. Uh he Yeah, he, had some, he apparently had some calf issue which he developed in Montreal, stupid Montreal series injuring our players. Jose <laughs> so Reyes the first time. <laughs> uh, uh yeah, yeah, but he's supposed to be back for uh, for the home opener, which is tonight. If you're listening to this on the day we release, ooh,
0: normally we talk about the day we record,
1: but I know trying to change things up. I'm confused. Uh, this reminds me, I, I put out a poll on Twitter today. Just I asked wh- who do people think would be the most disastrous loss for the Blue Jays. Who do you think is winning? Um, I gave three choices and an other. Donaldson, Stroman, Martin, and Other. Other has 3%, so it's one of the three guys. um, Martin would have been my answer only based
0: on what you guys have taught me, but I could see why Donaldson would be number one in people's mind.
1: No, Martin Martin has 45% of the vote.
0: Yeah. But Donaldson... is it has a similar depth ish problem. Like, if there's two guys who get hurt who you can't plug any useful parts in right away, those are the two guys, right?
1: I think so. I mean, oh, uh, yeah, Strowman, if, if obviously he's awesome, but if he gets hurt, then it's just Hutchison comes in or Chavez or Floyd. They have starting pitchers. Mm-hmm. Donaldson, I, I think it depends on what you think of Andy Burns, right? Andy Burns, if he's good, then it wouldn't be a huge loss, but can't really count on that. I, I was just very curious to see how the fan base would react because Martin, it's like you're dropping to and Sanchez and Sanchez. That well, would I, be very bad. I think
0: what happens in the for the, the starting pitching role is you, whoever if you lose Strowman, you go to a league average starter, potentially. One of those guys is going to come up probably to exactly. be average. Whereas yep. if you lose Donaldson or Martin, you go to replacement level unless you get really, really, really lucky. Uh, or
1: worse it, in the case of the catchers.
0: Yeah. So it's like, okay, this is a steep drop-off. Now, you besmirched Josh Tole, and Josh Tole already uh, has more home <laughs> runs than Jose Bautista.
1: He already has more home runs than Josh Tolle did in 2015 and 2014.
0: <laughs> it's not fair to compare him to himself. <laughs> um, and he almost
1: didn't get it. The umpires rooted a double at first.
0: <laughs> that was well, That's Laz Diaz, man. Laz Diaz should have <laughs> just gone home the, well, generally, I think he should go home, but that night was everything that went wrong. Laz Diaz was there. Like yeah, well, the screwed I up guess, foul ball appeal call. Laz Diaz yeah. is signaling out, and the other guy is signaling foul. I was
1: like, and he had a terrible strike zone in the fourth game of the series. Mm-hmm. He had a, yeah, he's just bad. <laughs> and then it's obviously there There was the, the play that ended the game, but we should start with how that one began.
0: Uh,
1: Aaron Sanchez. Oh, yeah. my. Like, you, you talk about gushing over Stroman. I want to gush over Aaron Sanchez. <laughs> say what you need to say, Josh. Get it off your chest. How long do we have?
0: Uh, <laughs> I'm guessing not long enough. We cannot
1: go pitch by pitch. <laughs> oh, fine. Uh, okay, so I'll just give you some pertinent stats. Okay, so Aaron Sanchez, in his career, his first pitch strike percentage is 53%. In that game, it was 69%. Don't say it. <laughs> um, Fine. <laughs> his career swing and miss rate is 18% and that game was 32.7%. He and didn't walk a batter. He struck tho- out eight. Yeah. For those of you
0: who don't really look at statistics a lot in terms of swing rates and whiff rates and all that other stuff. To go from 18 to 32 is to change from a contact-oriented ground ball pitcher to, to Clayton Kershaw. Kershaw.
1: Yeah. Yep. Which is I mean, ridiculous. He, was, he just absolutely dominated them. It, I mean, I had high hopes for Sanchez, as I've mentioned a few times on this podcast, but even I would never have expected him to come out like that. I mean, he, everything he did was just on point. He his fastball was harder somehow too as a starter, and a mile per hour harder than it was last year, including his time in the pen. And um, on Mike Son, who has appeared on this podcast on his stuff metric,
0: it's <laughs> <That's> a big, <laughs> sharp, upward tilted line on Aaron Sanchez's stuff. <laughs> yes, there
1: is. His stuff rating would have been the third highest in all of baseball last year, just if it was that one start. That's how good he was in that game. So now, I mean, obviously, it's one game, right? Yeah, you know, we it, it, it's. But what a game. Oh yeah, exactly. And but it just shows what he can do. Yeah. Right. Right. There's always the worry for it's like, oh, he can't miss bats. Well, he can miss bats. Yeah. If if you get everything working, if, if
0: well, he's wearing the big boy twenty extra pounds pants, and I think, um, I think there's a the way he's using that that extra weight, whether it's part mental or or you know completely physical, whichever, it's obviously working for him in terms of both stamina and with his ability to. Control his mechanics. So,
1: yeah, and he was also using all his pitches too. He threw a bunch of changeups, which yeah, it's a pitch that wasn't really a thing for him last year.
0: Yeah. So what can we what, keep it up? That's yeah, I mean, say. if he
1: if he can keep doing anything close to that, I mean, if he keeps pitching like that, he's going to win the Cy Young. <laughs> if, if he if yeah. he just pitches, you know, three quarters of that, he's exactly what we need. Exactly.
0: Um, okay, I think we've spent enough time on game reviews because we do have to cover oh well but we have to talk about the end of of that game uh yeah we do okay so the umpires went to review the jays went from up four three scoring two runs on an error to i'm sorry you lost which was (laughs) that is the quickest gut punch i've ever had at the end of a baseball game like i was literally i look at my wife and i'm like
1: what yeah (laughs) i was fist pumping and then it's like oh then i saw the replay it's like oh no No, they're going to reverse this. No, no, no. And then they reversed it. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So um, a lot of people complaining right off the bat, oh, Bautista's Bautista's slide was this and it was that and it wasn't this. And If you read the rule, he did two things wrong, one of which was he came out of his slide to try and make contact with the fielder. And the second one was, and it's clear at the end. Bautista is not in contact, nor attempting to make contact with the bag. He's turning around and he's looking at what happens at first base,
1: which is no longer allowed. Now, I'm and not that, sure that's why I thought it was going to get overturned. I didn't think that the thing where he touched his foot was that big, but he didn't. He went through the bag, and they, we've already seen that twice. That if you don't do that, it's a double play.
0: Yeah, and, and the the only weird part I find about that part of the rule, and I understand that that's how it's written. So again, kudos to the umpires. They called it as written. I don't have a problem with that. I'm curious as to what the rule is achieving. So once you're out, do you just sit on the bag until all play has stopped?
1: No, no. The point is so that the guys don't slide really hard really late. Right. So so you're within. Because if you slide early enough, your momentum will stop you. On the bag. Or close enough to the bag that you can still reach it.
0: You could have argued that Batista could have reached it in that case, but, but he wasn't again, trying he wasn't to, trying which to. is why Yeah. Because he knew he was out.
1: Yeah. So it's, his it's instincts tell bag. him
0: don't reach don't bother reaching for the
1: bag, you're out already. Um It's funny. If he had reached back for the bag, I wonder if they would have overturned if they would have ch- changed the cult of double play because the the contact with the foot was so innocuous that if he was only breaking that, I bet it's the score stands and the Jays win the game.
0: So the problem I have is that there are a bunch of the unintended consequences of this rule. The rule is designed to prevent injury. There was no chance of injury with anything that happened the way he slid. And he did slide differently, he mi- admitted, than he would have in, in
1: a previous year, right? Oh, no, he would have broken Forsyth's leg in a previous year. He he put himself in a really dangerous position with his back leg just hanging out there.
0: Yeah. So we've achieved something. Forsyth is still upright but we've done it by this really strange method that creates
1: automatic double plays.
0: Yeah. So how, how long before second baseman figure out how close they can hang to the bag um, and get the automatic double play, even if they, they make a lousy throw.
1: Oh, I think that's going to happen really fast.
0: Exactly. So was that the
1: intention of the rule? Uh, clearly no. <laughs>
0: so here we go. So Although it benefits
1: Devin Travis if he ever comes back, because he's always I thought he was going to get killed without he hangs in on double plates.
0: <laughs> so we'll see what they do with the rule. They have changed the home plate lane rule. They have changed um the tag rule regarding whether on, on instant replay whether it was just the laces or the actual glove and they have changed what constitutes in the glove as far as is it just in the pocket or is it made contact with the leather on instant replay they've changed all of those things after mm-hmm. instituting the rules and in the middle of a season
1: yeah once they watch it and say oh this was not a good idea
0: <laughs> so this rule again I would rather have it happen I said it on Twitter but I'll say it again in game three for the Blue Jays than in game 163 for anybody
1: Yes. No, I agree with that completely. I don't think I think anybody would be crazy to disagree. Or just all you crazy hope ever. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, um, the last thing about this series, Gibbons, and his bullpen management in Game Four. They say they say managers can lose you more games than they can
1: win you. He lost that. Yep. <laughs> it was just baffling. I don't understand. I mean, like Drew Storen unavailable, which you can say what you want about whether he should have been. He was, but how on earth are you going to Arnold Leon with runners on base in a one run game in the eighth?
0: When you have, uh, Robert, Roberto Osuna, who is, was rested a day from the previous night and, and has is, a day off the next day, has a day off the next day. And you only need five outs. Um, And who knows? You might not need him for the last three. You might need him for these two, and the Jays could score. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And then on the flip side, you even have Joe Biagini. um, Or just keep
1: Gavin Floyd in the game. The only two base runners that got on were off the end of the bat singles, and he had three strikeouts. So maybe
0: Gibbons has learned his lesson because um, people like to learn lessons from small sample size results, and a big Steven Sousa jack – (laughs)
1: huge he crushed that so leon who we were like well we don't know much about this guy he comes in and immediately falls behind three and oh it's like oh boy welcome to the blue jays and then he he, so throws a strike and just serves up the meatiest pitch you've ever seen and susan did what you're supposed to do with those oh yeah so there's actually another bullpen thing that happened in the game earlier i'll let you say what you're gonna say but then i want to get to that
0: Sorry, I don't. I was just gonna say Stephen Seuss is gonna be a thorn in our side now because was that three home runs in the series for him? It felt like it. Yeah, he had a good series, <laughs> except for defensively. The pl- the dive on Bautista's triple was the funniest dive I have seen in years. Yeah, he
1: missed I don't the think ball he was like within
0: five feet of the ball. T- five. He wasn't even within ten. It was like I'm gonna leap <laughs> now. There's probably a ball out here. Like,
1: what? what? Did you see Odorizzi's reaction when he did it? <laughs> well, I can't repeat what he said. So, yes. Yeah. I did... <laughs> yes, you did then. <laughs> <laughs> Just didn't had no idea what was going on. Oh, man. Uh, but anyway, okay. the other bullpen thing I was going to talk about. I actually have a piece coming out about this on uh, BP Toronto Friday morning. This, this concept of the long reliever has to come in as the first reliever out of the pen if it's before the fifth is crazy
0: yeah it always like has in been the, in,
1: uh, yeah. in the fourth inning Hap had bases loaded and a run in with one out and the guy that's getting up was Biagini who hasn't pitched above double A in his career how are you not going to Floyd
0: because he knew he needed Floyd for later <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, My take on that has always been the very simple logic. Relievers used to be called firemen because they used to come in to put out the fire. So when you have a big fire, bring in the quickest fireman and don't worry about later because the fire will be out then. (laughs) Yeah. What lead do you have to protect later if you're going to blow it now? (laughs) Your middle reliever usually brings a gas can with him just in case.
1: Or your long reliever brings like (laughs) gunpowder.
0: So there you go. Um... We have talked about this way too long So quickly, yep. <laughs> David Price
1: Yeah, so For people who are going to the game on Sunday It was supposed to be David Price against Marco Estrada Which would have been a lot of fun It's not going to be that anymore The Red Sox got rained out On okay. Thursday Yeah, they played two games, they were there for five days But <laughs> they got rained out on Thursday So now the Blue Jays will face Joe Kelly Rick Porcello And Stephen Wright in the three game series And admittedly as any of those guys can be good on a given night,
0: I keep thinking, and these guys were picked as favorites for the division by a bunch of people. And those
1: are like, If you're John Farrell, how are you not skipping one of those guys and just using price anyway? I
0: don't understand.
1: All right. While we
0: think about all the things we don't understand, we're going to try and expand our knowledge by talking to biomechanist Thomas uh, Caracolis. There you go. yeah formerly of the university of waterloo uh he has a phd so hopefully he will make us a little bit smarter we'll be right back with him after this and we are joined tonight uh, once again by injury biomechanist thomas caracolis uh one time of the university of waterloo how are you thomas I'm well, how about you guys? I'm excellent. Good, thanks. So, uh, welcome back. It's been almost a year since we talked. Um, we talked a lot about injuries and repetitive stress uh, problems and innings limits last time. Um, we really It was kind of an unfinished conversation. So, much to our surprise, the Blue Jays this year under the new regime have come up with something they call the, I think it's the high performance department, which seems to be a, sort of a holistic approach that includes... A lot of those ideas that we talked about about trying to take care of the individual. Well, I understand that you you've heard of some of the people in the department before. I just want to get your take on on what you what they seem to be doing.
2: Yeah, I've been I've been following it mostly just in the news. Like I guess any Jays fan has been, but I think they hired Angus Mugford um, last December, but I didn't actually read about it until January. I think it was either the Globe or the Star I ended up writing a whole article about it. And um, since then, they've hired a, a whole team around him. That They're, they're the high-performance department for the Toronto Blue Jays front office, yeah.
0: Now, those people are known sort of in your industry as, as having some, uh, you were saying, I think we talked uh, via email, you're saying some more of a psychology background, but some of the other ones are, are, have other specialties? Yeah,
2: so truthfully, I actually didn't know any of them um, before uh, the Jays hired them. The, their background. So uh, Angus's background looks like it's in sports psychology. So he he did PhD work um, in the U.S., but he's he's a Brit, and um, I think they they brought a few Brits in actually. So their their backgrounds appear to be kind of rugby soccerish, which is, is kind of cool and interesting. But um, I in in terms of the baseball world, world I hadn't heard of them. Um, my background's a little different too, so that that explains it as well. I'm I'm not a sports psychologist. I, I look at injury biomechanics and strength and conditioning performance type stuff. Um, the deputy director, uh, Clive Brewer, is 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 that is that man's name, and uh, he's a, a, a strength and conditioning guy. So he's he's someone that's interesting, and it seems encouraging that they brought him on board as the deputy director, which is something I think is is going to be good for the Jays because. Um, We we kind of talked about this before, Greg. The Jays don't their their problem to me hasn't seemed to been um, between the players' heads. It it hasn't been like a psychology type of thing. They've in the past had a lot of problems just staying healthy. So from that strength conditioning type of perspective and the whole the idea of recovery time and and tailoring everyone's workouts, their workloads as well as their recovery time, that's that's where I think this is really going to pay dividends for the Jays. What they've done here
1: just given what you just said are you surprised at the head of the department they went the psychology route as opposed to someone with a biomechanics background
2: um no i i wouldn't say that because it's baseball so i guess no i'm not really surprised because it's baseball and a lot of what goes on in the game of baseball goes on between your head so sports psychology is extremely important so i understand that um, the emphasis of the departments on that, so that that makes complete sense to me. There's a lot of preparation time, and and you spend more time, I guess, not doing stuff during baseball and thinking about doing stuff than actually doing it. So so sports psychology is very important. But um, once I read on on Sportsnet's site that they ended up hiring uh, Clyde Brewer as like a strength conditioning guy, I was really encouraged by that because I think for the Jays in particular, that's that's really important to keep their guys healthy.
1: Well, I mean, on that note, the, the keeping the guys healthy, the, there's also the part of how you keep guys on the field who haven't gone long, which is, in this case, Aaron Sanchez, the big topic of debate. Should he start? Should he relieve? A lot of it was based on the fact that he just hadn't thrown that many innings. Uh, in, in your research, obviously, innings have not been the determining factor. Do you feel that this high-performance department could find a way or will be likely to look at ways to keep him on the field without looking at things like innings or pitch limits?
2: Yes, like all the rhetoric that's come out of the the high performance department thus far has been really positive, and, and I'm encouraged by it. Um, so basically all of my research in the past has shown that using pitch count and inning limits as like a blanket type of, of limit isn't effective. It's really individual and specific for each of the pitchers. And that's kind of the approach that it sounds like they're taking where they're coming up with individual tailored programs not just how much they pitch but also how long and how they recover between between pitching sessions so that's not just the times they make appearances in games but also side sessions bullpen work and type, type of stuff like that so customizing those their entire training package with recovery for each individual player is, is seems to be the key to keep a guy like sanchez healthy for example and all of the rhetoric that's coming out of the department sounds like that's exactly what they're doing so i'm very encouraged with what they're doing
0: Cool. So in that area, uh, as far as tracking things and, and um, analyzing things like fatigue, uh, we've seen with Marcus Stroman at Duke University, they talked about his sports bra looking like thing that, that was keeping track of that for him. But now a story came out today that the MLB has actually agreed to allow wearable um, biomechanical aids during the game to record what's going on during a game situation, which is kind of a breakthrough. Now, I understand uh, you had been asked about these before. What do you know about these devices, and, and do you think that that being able to use them is going to be something that teams are going to jump on, or it's going to be
2: another slow process? Um, so you're referring to the Modus pitch sleeve, essentially. It's a, a commercially available product, and basically the pitcher wears it on their arm like a sleeve, and it's instrumented with... Um, a series of accelerometers. So essentially the same sort of things that are in your cell phone that tell you the orientation of your cell phone so that the, when you turn your cell phone to the side, your screen changes over, those exact same types of sensors are in this sleeve. So what they can do is they can tell you not only the position of a pitcher's elbow, so uh, flexion, extension, how they bend their elbow, as well as how fast they're moving it. So it's giving you a lot of useful biomechanical data in terms of... Um, if teams will actually use them and how they'll use them, I would not be surprised at all if the Jays are one of the teams that is using them just based off of everything we've heard come out of their front office um, during the off season. I know the Mets um, with Sandy Alderson as their GM, um, they're probably definitely using them. They're probably one of the teams that, in my opinion, are the first ones to adopt this sort of technology. And I think more teams than you think are probably going to jump on board with this technology because it's, relatively low cost relative to the the team's payrolls and, and the budgets of their front offices and it's relatively harmless as well it's kind of inert so there's not too much harm the only the only issue is if the guys the pitchers themselves don't actually want to wear them because they think that it's going to affect their performance because with these guys especially the players and in the coaching staffs as well as uh, the front office they're going to They're going to care about performance more than injury prevention for the most part. So if for any reason the pitcher doesn't think he's going to perform as well, he won't wear them. But if the guys are willing to wear them, I think a lot of teams will jump on board with this.
1: I was actually just going to sort of touch on that. I mean, I'm just watching the Jays game as we're talking right now. I'm such a professional, so focused on what we're doing here. (laughs) And you have a guy like Aaron Sanchez specifically. Uh, He pitches with short sleeves. And there are a lot of guys who don't ever wear long sleeves. And I'm sort of wondering if that's the kind of thing that's going to meet a lot of resistance more than people would probably assume. Is that something you think that is likely or do you think that's just sort of going to be overblown?
2: Truthfully, I don't know is the answer. I would not be surprised if it did meet a lot of resistance Um, from the performance perspective. And you're right, guys that don't wear long sleeves aren't going to want something on their arm. The other thing that is interesting um, with the news story that just got released about that today is the players' union is someone else that's going to be interested because having this data on pitches that potentially could predict injuries or or, um, future career paths is – is very useful but is also fairly scary if you're a player because you don't know exactly what the front office is going to do with the data so one of the stipulations that i read is that the players have access to the data as well so it's kind of a, a, trying to be a level playing field but there could also be resistance in terms of the players not wanting to wear them just because they're concerned about how the data is going to get used
1: oh, it might keep them off the field maybe
2: yeah, or, or it could de- de- determine their career progression. So a front office could see something in a player's biomechanics, and that player was, was thought of, they were drafted as a starting pitcher, they want to be a starting pitcher, and they could see some sort of sign or signal in the data, and that suggests maybe they should be used as a reliever um, type of player. So a guy that doesn't want to be a bullpen guy might end up getting pushed into that role because of this sleeve. So if, if I'm a pitcher and I want to be a starter, I might be one of those people that... That's hesitant to be willing to wear one of these.
0: So you're saying the <laughs> Orioles will never be allowed to use this technology? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going to have no comment on that one. <laughs> it's the only rule in the CBA. The Orioles have no access to
2: any any biomechanical live live data. Um, <laughs> that's the Orioles some- the done well though in terms of their their recent history of uh, of injuries for their pitcher. They got they've got a good strength conditioning guy over there, so. I think they're um they're doing they're doing good as a department
0: but they can't seem to graduate a successful pitcher he might be healthy but uh they seem to go to other teams and suddenly be successful i I know that's another department but that's a
2: coaching and performance side of it
0: so is this mix just going to get more complicated for teams to try and find the winning formula i guess is what it comes right down to in the
2: short term Yes. Anytime you have an influx of data like this is going to provide, it it is going to get more complicated. But once teams start chugging through the data, noticing trends in it, learning from the data, I think it'll be a, a net benefit in the long run for sure. Because there are no trends right now, right? Like As this data comes
0: in, there, there's, there's no, we're going to compare this pitcher to this other successful pitcher from a year ago or five years ago, or we're going to compare this guy to a guy who got injured. It's really, it's like the PitchFX database in 2007. There's literally yeah, there's, nothing.
2: Essentially, so there's a, there's a term called longitudinal studies in, in science, and basically the only way you get really good uh, convincing evidence is by doing a longitudinal study so this these are studies in the terms of years rather than days and months and i think a front office whether it's going to be formally or informally they're going to run longitudinal studies And they're going to track not only what the the, the data they're getting out of the sensor, but then the associated outcomes. So if a player gets hurt or not, how they perform based off of their biomechanics. And then they're going to have to start making associations to try and figure out which of these markers or or trends in the data are associated with certain outcomes. And that's that's going to take time to form these associations, find the associations, because you just – you need a whole bunch of performance data to figure or outcome data to figure out what's actually happening
0: so I uh, I feel like we spent most of the time on you know things that aren't actually on the ball field they, they're they're moving arms and, and parts and everything else you went down to spring training this year though
2: that's correct it was amazing <laughs> I was gonna say have you <laughs>
0: uh, you were there for a week you said uh, when we yeah. were talking have you been yeah. have you been to the spring training? facility before to take in a bunch of games or no
2: when i was a kid actually my dad and i went down to Dunedin. it was an ended up being an off day so we couldn't get tickets but we were like it was it's a completely open facility so we were able to kind of walk around um the park but this was the first time i would seen a series of games down there and it's just a great experience for anyone that hasn't gone um i strongly recommend it as a jays fan someone who was just
1: down there as well i totally second that yeah
0: so when you're watching the game, I wonder about this because I've, I've had a few jobs in my life that um, I noticed after I've been doing the job for a while, I didn't experience those things the same way as an observer. Uh, uh, you know, like when you learn to play a musical instrument, all of a sudden listening to the music is different. How do you watch a baseball game compared to back when you were a kid versus now? Do you find yourself thinking about the biomechanics or, or you know, what do you, what do you enjoy
2: differently? Truthfully, yeah, it's hard to watch it the same way after you start thinking about it in a certain way. So I I do look at the biomechanics. Every time I see a pitcher throw a pitch and, and some guys you can see and you're just like, hey, I would love to bring that guy into the lab, instrument him up, and actually do a full biomechanical assessment on him. Because you see something that you think is interesting or or, or maybe good or bad, but until you actually measure it – and that's the part that kills me. It's not being able to measure this stuff. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it it's I, I'm still a huge Jays fan, like so I, I'm not going to stop watching the games, but there are times when I'm watching it and I'm really frustrated by by wanting to get in there and, and look at some data and, and do some analysis, but just not having the opportunity. Just as a as a side note, because Dunedin's kind of a, an open facility, there, I saw like Angus Mugford and Clyde Brewer were just kind of standing around, and I had to resist the urge to go up to them just because I would appear to be just an absolute fanboy walking up but it was in the middle of the game and they're just kind of wandering around the concourse area and you're just like whoa this is exciting and fun but a little bit frustrating at the same time
1: so what you're saying then is that you're actually the target marquee for the, for all the booze, so you can turn that part of your brain off
2: yeah <laughs> maybe that's a new strategy I should use when I'm watching the games
0: they might be the least likely guys to uh, get an autograph request except for maybe you <laughs>
2: I, yeah, I, I don't know. That's the problem. I wouldn't actually go up to an autograph request. I'd probably just start having a verbal diary and just sharing all my ideas and thoughts until they just thought I was crazy.
0: Yeah. Who is this guy? And yeah. What, why does he yeah. know I'm the head of what department?
2: Unless um, I guess I suppose I could introduce myself. Hey, I'm Dr. Thomas Karakoulos. I have a Ph.D. from the University of Waterloo. But I still think I'd come across as a little crazy unless I brought my my degree with me.
1: I'm going to start doing that just to give you a bad name. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Is there anybody then when you're watching them
0: that you actually think, how does he do that? As in, how does he throw that hard or, or why why doesn't he break down instantly? Or is there anybody, again, you don't have real data, but is there any, anyone who you really want to drag in? Well, and, the obvious answer is Tim Lincecum
2: when you see him throw. It just, it looks awful. <laughs> <laughs> but in, in, in terms of on the Jays specifically. Sure, is, sure. Is, yeah, there's there's no one that I've seen on the Jays right now that I like. I would have, I'd desperately want to bring into my motion capture lab to try and and uh, and get some some biomechanical data on them. With that being said, I was only there for a few days, so it's it's hard to to see them up close and and uh, and get a really good sense of how they look when they're pitching.
0: Yeah, you you really do need, like you said, you need to measure things more than with with the naked eye. And I think it's crazy that in 2016 we're still relying to a large extent on the naked eye to judge what a pitcher is doing or not doing
2: i completely agree but there's there's a lot of people that made their career on using their quote-unquote expert opinion with their naked eye so um i'd be careful knocking that too much
1: (laughs) doesn't seem like it's ever gonna go away
0: (laughs) all right well uh i think that covers just about everything we do thank you for stopping by again and
2: uh my pleasure. Anytime you guys want, I'm willing to be on.
0: All right. Well, hopefully we'll, we'll have you drop by during the season, uh, not relating to an injury that already happened, maybe something, you know, happier, like a big velocity jump or something else <laughs> that someone said. Yeah.
2: As a fan, I'm hoping to not be on here again when one of the Jays starters goes down, because that would be awful. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Or uh, yeah. take me back to 2013. But let's not go there. All right. Thank you, <laughs> Thomas. We will uh, we will talk to you soon and uh, have a good night.
2: All right, you guys take care.
0: Bye bye. Bye. And we are back. Uh, Thank you to Thomas for joining us once again. Uh, Very different than your typical sportscaster slash. Media person guest, um, I, I like someone who has a different angle on the game.
1: Yeah, no, he's he's always good to talk to. He really knows his stuff too, which helps.
0: Totally, totally, and uh, yeah, I I am fascinated by the idea that maybe pitchers will not always be breakable things that you just wait for bad news from, because that that tends to be the way. Like Noah Syndergaard right now, I'm so scared for that guy. <laughs>
1: You had to use him as your example
0: Yeah, because he's the hardest throwing starter in baseball Not because he used to be a Blue Jay
1: And oh yeah, he throws in the upper 90s on average Yeah, 99 Yeah, 99 his is his 90, average
0: 95
1: his first
0: mile an hour slider
1: Do you <laughs> think that's stressful jerk. on the elbow? No, not at all
0: <laughs> Oh, anyway we had listener questions, a few of them, this week. Maybe you were all watching games and, and not all of you had time to send in questions. But it was a night off when we, I don't know, we solicited them on the They are all at Pitch
1: off. Talks listening to Mark Shapiro. That's probably
0: true. There may be significant number of uh, Artificial Turf Wars listeners in that room right now, to which we say hello to all of you. Uh, all right. First question, <laughs> should Tulo's Game Glove have its own
1: training staff? <laughs> Seriously? Well, he seems to have retired the glove, I think.
0: It came back out.
1: One. Oh, it did?
0: Jeez. Oh, yep. It got repaired it, by a clubhouse attendant and came back out.
1: Like, the ball got stuck in it on one play, so it turned it out into a hit, and another ball, it kicked off it in a way that shouldn't have because the glove is too floppy. It cost the Jays two hits. It went through the, the webbing. When he turned
0: it in, it's because it went right through the webbing.
1: Oh, jeez. So the one got stuck in the webbing, and the other one went right through it. Yeah. Get a new glove. It doesn't I, need,
0: it does not need its own training staff. It needs its own pallbearers.
1: <laughs> Thank you. I was going to make a similar joke.
0: <laughs> it's the saddest thing ever. It's like, ah, I, I really love this glove. It's dead, Jim.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's quirky, but time to go.
0: Yeah. Love it on a shelf or something. Okay. Well, we all agree on that because it just, why, why would you play with something that hurt your game? Uh okay. Do you know where the tradition of the ball toss from the dugout to the first baseman, returning at the end of an inning, comes from?
1: It's From Colleen Evans. Yes. It's pretty simple, really. It's you know, I, as you may have noticed, before the inning starts, the first baseman throws grounders to the infielders. It's just so that he has a ball when the inning starts, so he doesn't have to go looking for one. Same thing with the uh, center fielder; will have a ball thrown to him when he's coming in.
0: Yeah. So the ball gets or in handed his glove. to him when he gets to the dugout. Yeah tucked in his glove, sits there, and then when he
1: picks up his glove he doesn't have to go hunting for one, right? Yeah, exactly. Actually, that's not true about the center fielder anymore. Now the bad boys just toss them one, but it used to be that way. In the old days, when Josh played <laughs> ball <laughs> They'd walk 15 miles in the slow snow just to get to their gloves And all the balls were brown with dirt Weren't allowed to use new ones <laughs> Nice voice you got going go there <laughs>
0: i'm 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 regularly an old man so that's just my older man voice it's different (laughs) Um, so we have two questions that also are are more or less the same question uh one from at the Moxball, which is noel moxon and
1: uh for some reason uh, it's kind of cool
0: kind of funky uh and at senzel 3000 senzel um, the first was how long is Gibby's leash? When do you think they pull his plug if they don't get off to a good start? And then, uh, is Gibbons still the manager of the Jays in April, 2017? You want to go for it? Uh, well, I think his, his leash is actually pretty long this year because the team played 500 baseball for a huge chunk of the season last year and then absolutely caught fire. Um, With the exception of the 11-game winning streak in May, they actually hardly ever won three games in a row. So if they come out and do the same thing this year for some inexplicable reason, um, it's going to be kind of odd to go, well, last year this is how the team went, but now that it's doing it this year, we're going to fire him. It's weird. They'd have to be really, really awful. Um, That said, do I think he's the Jays manager in 2017? I think that largely is dependent on whether they make the playoffs again and advance any further than than the first round. Um, I think he could lose his job over a, a poor performance somewhere at the end of the season much easier because this regime is keeping him around because uh, you can't really fire a guy that successful can you?
1: Yeah, I mean I, I think that's exactly right. If the team wins this year he's going to be back. If they don't, he won't. <laughs> I don't think it's even remotely more difficult than that.
0: Yeah, And, and, and to, to pull the plug on him earlier than that, they're going to get accused of just being way too quick on the trigger, I think. Um, if they I, d- really I don't think
1: gone. they really will care that much, but I think you're, you're right. It's just they know that he took this team to the ALCS last year, so there must be something there. Exactly.
0: So we will continue to talk about John Gibbons now because John Gibbons, against possibly our better judgment, is going to get a do-over here.
1: Not for his on-the-field stuff.
0: No. No. For his... His way of expressing his disappointment um, post-game. First, I would like to note that John Gibbons knows how to censor himself, if he has to. Because during the post-game interview, which he knew was being broadcast live with a microphone in his face, he said, I don't like it. It's," And he paused a little bit, and he went, it's crap. I'm like, ah, that word was probably not going to be crap. (laughs) probably if if, if you knew that you you know if you'd forgotten you were on television and then he went on to make some comments about the game being taken away and it losing the sucking to lose that way and then he decided to um say that the jays should maybe come in dresses tomorrow i'm not even going to give him a do-over for that because the media gave him a do-over for that. They came to him the next day and they said, would you like to clarify and or apologize for telling women that they are inferior to men or or implying that? And he
1: doubled down. Yep. Never double down. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, no, it's like people, I'm just trying to add levity to the situation. Failed, John. Yep.
0: And it's not about the people who know you and know what you're like. And it's not about the people who um, who would get that humor or understand. It's not about any of those people. Those people exist. They're in your life and they know you. And if you're going to make a statement like that, you make it to those people when only they are around. Not to a reporter who puts a microphone in your face after you lost the game. And then when you're given an opportunity that basically says... When nobody walks up to you about something non controversial and goes, Have you thought about it and want to apologize?
1: It'd be really funny if they did, actually. I'm going to start doing that in my everyday <laughs> life.
0: Yeah. So uh, you, you were late to work tomorrow. You were late to work yesterday. Do you want to
1: apologize? No, uh, <laughs> no, no. You showed up right on time for our meeting. Would you like to apologize yeah. for that? Just get to <laughs> throw them really off guard. So they, th- when they
0: come to you, make an apology that's what we do in this day and age it doesn't fix it but at least shows you we're paying attention to the fact that the people you offended are not in your family or your friends the people you offended are the the people who count on you to represent this organization and it's not hard to say that the thing i said indicated that women are that wearing dresses and, and being female would be a bad thing to have to come do and that that means that women are a bad thing to be like. Or weak. Weak or whatever. There's a negative connotation. There was nothing positive about coming to the ballpark in dresses. It's bad enough when rookie hazings do it, which you notice they've sort of gotten away from it. Um, we don't need the manager of the ball club to do it, and we need him to apologize and say that that is insensitive and pretty obviously insensitive, insensitive to, I don't know, 50% of the people who watch baseball games.
1: <laughs> okay, so here's your do-over, uh, John. Yeah, and no, I don't really have anything to add to that. I think you covered it pretty nicely.
0: <laughs> your do-over is the next. It, it, we gave you an opportunity to apologize. The media did apologize, and then we won't talk about <laughs> this ever again. It was like it's a. We wrote it. We Are wrote you, if you not going to
1: apologize? You. At least acknowledge it's like yeah, this probably wasn't a good idea.
0: Yeah. That was that was bad. I won't do it again. I shouldn't have done it that time. That wouldn't have been hard, would it? <sighs> okay. Um. So on a lighter note, <laughs> a, a cliche reared its ugly head. I believe Chris submitted this, but was un- unable to beat. No, with it was his. me. It was you. You did submit it.
1: Yeah. Uh, d- during the game on Wednesday, Darren Barney came up with a runner on first base, and immediately Buck and Tabby. Jumped in and said, "Oh, I think you are going to put put a hit and run on you know Barney. Really handles the bat well, really." Oh. Yeah. So
0: the first thing you go first. There's so many no. angles to take that from. Okay, <laughs> I don't wanna, it was your idea. I don't want to stop on it, but there's so many things I have to say about it.
1: It's go just ahead. okay. This this concept of handling the bat well has come to mean doesn't strike out a lot, which in the context it's like yeah this guy he makes contact would have been sense but you'd think that a guy who handles the bat well would have a better career batting line than 245 294 339 so Do they just mean he like he has a nice grip and it looks <laughs> it looks it looks proper?
0: He, he knows how to wiggle it look at that if wiggle the ball hits
1: it he will not drop it he's <laughs> handling it well
0: he he's picked it up by the thin end uh, pat. <laughs> That's always what I imagine when it when they get right down to it, the literal interpretation is the funniest to me. It's like he was uh early in his career he was he was pretty much holding it in the middle, and it was a very awkward <laughs> to swing because he kept hitting himself with the end of it, but now he handles the bat well um there <laughs> there was a time historically when handles the bat well meant um and I think this was a long time ago meant could put the ball to either left or right field with confidence. Which is why you oh. had your number There's two hitter. There's a new
1: hitter. name for that. Hmm? That's a professional hitter.
0: Uh yes. <laughs> which is a different show. I think we did that one. We did, um, yeah. So, you know, we started off with guys who handled the bat well, which meant they had good command of, of how to deliver the baseball. They wouldn't They wouldn't be home run hitters because they had focused their skill set on doing something specific with pitches, inside Mm -hmm. outing the pitch or whatever else. Fine. Then there was a period of time where, um, I don't know how, but handles the bat well meant he can bunt. It still means that a little bit. A little bit. But like,
1: because nobody can bunt anymore. But oddly, that's the one that makes the most sense because you're handling the bat differently when you bunt.
0: Yes. It's funny grip. That one where you don't crush your fingers if you make a mistake. Yeah, that, that would be not handling the bat well. <laughs> he's very bad at handling the bat. Notice his broken fingers.
1: Um, <laughs> very unambiguous system.
0: <laughs> and I think honestly you were saying it comes to mean he doesn't strike out. I think it just means he it's the very nicest way to say he's not a threat to hit. Period.
1: No, I, no, I, I think it's, it, it's become guys who, who have no power but make contact because mm. like that's the context of like hit and run well he handles the bat well. It's like, well, so he won't swing and miss.
0: Right. But of course, if he pulls the ball, the hit and run isn't really going to help. So you do need the actual traditional definition where he needs to be able to aim it a little bit into that hole or pick the pitch that is more likely to end up in that hole um, or foul it off if he doesn't. I think actually fouling the pitch off is a skill that should have some sort of terminology associated with it and doesn't. Some guys are really good at fouling a bunch of pitches off. Until they get a good one. Yeah. Making the yeah. pitch. And, and that is not, ignored. like, there's no term for that. He's not a, you know, he's a slugger if he hits it out all the time. What is it if he, if he can foul off more pitches than anybody else? He's a fouler? <laughs> Dexter? <laughs> yeah. It, it, no, not him. Different. <laughs> but in 100-odd years of baseball, we haven't come up with a term for a guy who's really good at, at fouling off pitches. Odd. But we know he probably handles the bat well. Well done. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, folks, everybody who got to the major leagues handles the bat well. That's not what Buck and Tabby are talking about. Do they know what they're talking about, Josh? Not often. (laughs) (laughs) And that's the sad, sad truth. Uh, Do you have a final thought for us?
1: I do. So with this pitch talks that we referenced earlier, Mark Shapiro actually talked about the trade, the the potential – Uh, Michael Saunders Jay Bruce trade They said it was just About another year Of control So they're actually Acknowledging now It's not just a rumor (laughs) As they claimed before It was going to happen And then Saunders Apparently said Atkins it'll be The best trade They never made And then Jay Bruce Has just hit Two home runs today
0: But Yeah Michael Saunders Looked fine
1: Yeah he did But uh, uh, it's just very funny That they've gone from You know It's just rumor I don't know where These things come from To yeah it was happening
0: (laughs) It's strange I'm going to talk about another traded player for my final thought. Uh, Drew Storen tweeted out last night, my first time in the six, and just wow. And then, of course, someone asked him, um, wow, it's a great city, amazing, or wow, I can't believe it's still snowing up here, basically. Paraphrase. (laughs) to which he he eventually said, I probably put a sh- should have put a thumbs up at the end of that first tweet to sort of <laughs> indicate what the wow <laughs> meant, which is pretty funny. But that's not the final thought. The thought is, folks, on Twitter, it is not necessary to join the massive chorus of people who are A, welcoming Drew Storm to Toronto, and B, apologizing for the snow and telling him it won't be that way forever. I'm pretty sure he's seen pictures of baseball <laughs> games played in the summer here and he understands
1: that the snow is going to go away it'd be really I, funny if it was the if that wasn't the case though he's like oh, oh really
0: it's gonna snow forever um also
1: to people let me know i'm happy now like that's the most stereotypical canadian thing to do welcome to our yep. country
0: it's a uh, it's snowing eh? a <laughs> typed a's <laughs> Dozens of people. And it's like, do you not see the six other tweets responding to him with exactly the same thing? You could probably leave out the snow. It's okay. He'll get (laughs) over it. (laughs) So there we are. Another episode of Artificial Turf Wars in the bag. Woo. Um, So you can reach Josh at Joshua Housem. You can get Chris on the Twitter at C.W. Sherwin. You can follow me at Coolhead2010. You can follow this podcast at TurfPod. Um, We would like to thank Thomas Karakoulos for joining us and talking about biomechanics as always, you have been Joshua Howsam, I have been Greg Wisniewski did I get through that without any major screw-ups? that might be the first time (laughs)